Nobel Prizes, known for being awards, famous for being smartness awards. Nobody thinks much about them, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why Nobel Prizes are secretly incredibly fascinating. Folks, welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. I'm joined today by Matt Kirschen and Andy Wood. They are the co-hosts of a great podcast called Probably Science. Also, Matt and Andy are both stand-up comedians. They're both comedy writers. And Andy Wood is a recently minted four-time Jeopardy! champion. So we'll, we'll have two of those on this show. And that's no joke. He did it this past November. You, you might have seen it if you watched Jeopardy! And it was really exciting to see his very fun run. It was really cool. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples. Acknowledge Matt recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino Ortongva and Keech and Chumash peoples. Acknowledge Andy recorded this on the traditional land of the Nawa and Yohaviatam and Ma'arangayam peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about Nobel Prizes, which are probably the most famous award in the world. Maybe that and Olympic medals, which are more of a sports thing, obviously. I think those are the two. Everyone has heard of them. Almost nobody knows all the particulars and stories and quite funny things that we're going to get into today about how those things work and how they have worked in the past. So please sit back or consider a career in rocket science, because along with Nobel Prizes, that and rocket science, those are like the stereotypical markers of geniusness. Like, like if you drop something or if you don't understand something, I think those get brought up. Anyway, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Matt Kirshen and Andy Wood. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Matt, Andy, thank you both so much for doing this. I, you do one of my favorite science podcasts. It felt appropriate to the Big Big Science Award, as far as I know. It was great. Oh, well, thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for being on yeah. our podcast the other day. You were great. You were always great. Yeah, it was a treat. And Andy, congratulations again on winning Jeopardy four times. That's a thing that's near and dear to my heart. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I was just trying to copy you at every turn, and I almost did it. <laughs> But you're much better at drawing as well. So like it's many, many skills. It's great. I, I, I got a couple, I got a couple final Jeopardy drawings. And then that was one of the biggest surprises of the experience was how hard it is to use that pen. Wow. That was really tough. They had, they, make, they made me do it over multiple times because mine were so bad. Oh, wow. Really? The producers had me rewrite my name because I'd messed it up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of, I think my main error was the way the podiums were set up when I did it. We were like hooked to a little lav mic that was on a cord. And they were like, listen, after the game, you're going to want to step right off the podium and it'll yank the mic out of the podium in a bad way if you do that. And I was like, OK, I won't do that. And they were like, you'll probably forget after the game. So don't do that. <laughs> I was like, sure, sure, sure. Then I almost did it, I think, three times. <laughs> like I just kept and, and like the crew would all be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like every time it was uh, an issue. <laughs> do you also drive away from the gas station with the uh, pump still in your tank? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's my signature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, uh, and today we're talking about Nobel Prizes, which is uh, another institution in the world. And I always start by asking guests their relationship to the topic or opinion of it. Either of you can start, but how do you feel about the Nobel Prize? Well, we've sent in our podcast in most categories every year and so far nothing. <laughs> but, you know, I figure like at least like one of the easy ones, like economics. You'd think. Right, easy, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that's a I mean, that's all made up, isn't it? There's no real thing. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it just goes to someone who's the best coupon cutter that year. Right. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the Nobel Prize and Thrift. Just, just yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Just put every time, every time you get a coin, just put it in the jar. That's all I'm saying. And at the end, of it, you will be surprised. You will be surprised. Over, sir, I am putting this medal around your neck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is a big one for the jar. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm a fan as well. I, I think it's awesome that someone managed to, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but managed to successfully turn around their legacy to the point that if you mentioned Nobel to somebody, the first thing they think is is prize. It's one of the right. all-time great image image scrubs, sort of, you know? Right, amazing PR, like right. the top yeah, PR yeah. in 1895. <laughs> You're talking about the fact that Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. And... Well, I didn't want to like, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I'm assuming we'll get into all that at some point in this hour. Maybe we won't, but... um. Yeah, it's great. As, yeah, as, yeah. As, as a rebrand, it's it's pretty powerful. I can't think of anybody else who's pulled that off as well. Like I don't know if like uh, who who is a person with a slightly tarnished but not but intact. I don't know. Is is Dane Cook? Is Dane Cook going to have the Cook Prize come out later or something? <laughs> <laughs> Bad example, but you know what I mean. The Cook Prize and thrift. That's why you do the Cook the jar. Prize and thrift. That's what you're after. Yeah. <laughs> In a more specific way, on our podcast. We've come close to having Nobel Prize people really? on the show, and we might have a Nobel Prize winner on the show next year, but I don't want to jinx it. We've had scientists from from the LIGO project oh. whose leaders won the Nobel Prize a few years back, but the people we had on the show were not the lead people on the project, but were still great. So we've had that. And then I did an episode of Star Talk with a Nobel Prize winner who was also from the LIGO project. He was one of the three creators of that project that's awesome so he has so so i've met a physics nobel prize winner and it's, so it's a kind of thing where it's not like you're just trying to book every winner after the the announcement is made it's like you book these amazing scientists like you do yeah. and then hopefully it turns out later well we email malala every year as well just in the <laughs> hope that she'll come on and talk some nonsense about science for a, an hour or so <laughs> And she's like, I'm already busy with Chapo, but thank you very much for the email. Yeah. Uh, for reaching out. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> and I and and Andy, I love you getting into that right away of yeah, it's Alfred Nobel was this Swedish industrialist scientist who invents dynamite and then decides he doesn't want that to be his legacy. And I if, if I remember right, Joseph Pulitzer was kind of famous for junk journalism and then started the Pulitzer Prizes. That's the only other one I can think oh, of like that. Oh, that's another great yeah. example. But it's that's rare. A, in fact, that's yeah. a, that's almost a better example because that's a straight like for like. <laughs> that's a direct changing of your legacy. Right. Like it, it's like if it was the Nobel Prize in not dynamite. Like it's exactly yeah. the <laughs> just the putting cliff faces back together and <laughs> sort of repairing minds. <laughs> well, and uh, and we have a lot of stuff about these awards and prizes. So let's get into it and. On every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics, and that's in a segment called Number the Bridge Downtown is where I count stats up. Statistics are real fun. Some are real big and dumb. And, uh, that name is Anthony Kiedis filling in his host today? I can't tell. <laughs> Anthony, I'm trying to do the song. Get out of here, <laughs> Anthony. Kiedis! I have read his memoir. Is that weird? It's called Scar Tissue. It's a good time. Oh, I uh, have also read that book. It was a long really? time ago. Yeah. It's a good book. It's pretty good, yeah. yeah. Very fascinating. I, I won the Kiedis Award for, for in-tune singing. <laughs> <laughs> and that, uh, that name was submitted by at Wapple House on Twitter. His username is Christy Yamaguchi Main. And thank you for that. We have a new name for this segment every week. Please make them as silly and wacky as possible. Submit to SifPod on Twitter or to SifPod at gmail.com. We got numbers and stats here. The first number is money. It is 10 million Swedish krona, which is a currency, and that is the cash award given for a 2020 Nobel Prize, which is about 1.195 million U.S. dollars. That's what you get if you win a Nobel. God, what a racket. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be doing scratch cards like an idiot when I should really have been doing particle physics. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more than I expected. No, the piece that you achieve is 
okay, but that uh, that sweet, sweet kroner stash is really why you want to be uh, yeah, <laughs> too good yeah. in the world. <laughs> so far, my best attempt at peace has just been sort of going into bar fights and fights in the street and just saying, lads, cut, lads, easy, easy, lads. <laughs> All right, leave it, leave it. <laughs> is that is that just British Roadhouse? Is that the film? Is that what happens with it? <laughs> very, very much so. <laughs> Oi, lads, calm it, leave it. <laughs> and uh, I, I guess speaking of the UK, according to the internet, there are eight European Union countries that do not use the euro. It used to be nine when the UK was in it. So the Swedish krona is what you were paid in. For your Nobel, you also get a medal and a diploma, which is, uh, there are pictures of them online. It's sort of a very fun looking, it looks like a medieval invitation or something, but the diplomas are very fancy. Do yeah. you hang it up in your study so that people know that you're to be trusted? Yeah, I think so. Like the way dentists do. Yeah. <laughs> Next number here is more money. It is 31 million Swedish krona. That was 31 million Swedish krona in 1895 when Alfred Nobel signed his will, uh, putting that amount of money into starting the prizes. And today that would be almost 1.8 billion krona or 214 million US dollars, which is kind of less than I expected. I thought it took more money to start a Nobel Prize. I don't know. That's 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 a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> does, does does that mean that it's it's a trust or it's it's a um, whatever the word is for like all of the prize money has over the years just come out of the interest of that initial investment or? Yeah, I believe that's the approach, and because they've also changed yeah. the amount the prize is over the years to to go with inflation. Like it used to be much less than it is now. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sort of a hard amount of money to think about, too. It's it's just once you get enough digits on it, it's silly. It's it's whatever it is. Yeah. But also, you know, you think about if it is in today's do- you said it was today's dollars, only about 200 so- and something million. Was that right? Yeah. 214 million modern American dollars. Yeah. Then I guess, yeah, there are tons of pretty evil people who have way more money than that, where that giving that much money really wouldn't even be any skin off their back. Like, why not just... Uh, hedge your bets and tr- every like a, uh, I don't know, Roger Stone or I don't, he's not rich enough, but you know, someone like that. Yeah. Sure. The Bezos prize, the Bezos <laughs> right. prize for labor rights. But, but I mean, seriously, <laughs> if it's that, if it's that trivial amount of money for a, uh, you know, Scrooge McDuck style billionaire, why not just start it and see if it, if it takes. The, it did. It wasn't all the prizes at first, right? Am I right in thinking that he'd more have been added over the years? That is a perfect segue into the next number. The next number yeah. here is six. Because that is the approximate number of categories for Nobel Prizes. They started with five of them for physics, chemistry, physiology or medicine, literature, and peace. And then they added a sixth one in 1968 that is technically run by the a central bank in Sweden. And it's called the Sveriges Riksbank Prize in Economic Sciences in Memory of Alfred Nobel. Which is a very long name. but So there's six of them and technically only five are the originals. So, yeah, I, I don't want to, uh, I wouldn't want to win the economics one then. I want one of the OG ones. <laughs> right, it doesn't count. Yeah, forget it. Yes, yeah, so it's just not as, I mean, it, it counts, but it, it doesn't, it, you know, it, it counts-ish. <laughs> the other thing with the categories is there's no math prize, which I think I learned from the movie Goodwill Hunting, because they're obsessed with the Fields Medal, because that's a math award. But apparently Nobel did not start one for unclear reasons, the according to Mental Floss, the silliest rumor is that Nobel did not like mathematics or that his wife was cheating on him with a mathematician. But the, <laughs> mo- <laughs> but the most likely actual reason is Sweden had a major math award given by a journal there called Acta Mathematica. So he just felt like that was already covered. Didn't need to do it. Okay. Also, there's there's the Abel Prize. and I th- Oh, no, he's Norwegian, I think. Abel. Oh, I've never heard of it. Yeah. Which is a major math prize. Yeah, I guess there's a ton of math prizes, and I don't know because I don't do it. But yeah, there's it's I, like very covered, and Nobel was like, "Don't worry about it. Let's do other stuff." That that was my degree, but apparently you need to do a little bit better than just scraping through an undergrad to get one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I majored in peace, and it hasn't done anything for me. I can't believe my parents <laughs> paid for that whole four years. Uh. You did, but you've got a minor in carousing, and that's <laughs> I think they've counted each other out. Yeah, <laughs> it is Norwegian. The Arbel Prize. Oh, it looked that's great. The, the Norwegian mathematician Arbel. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Scandinavian prizes too. It's a whole thing. I guess when you've got the long dark winters, you know, you need a medal to see you through. <laughs> it's 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 really it's a neck warmer to the Swedes, is what it is. It's mostly yeah. about yeah. 
And they give them out in December. Like they announce October, give it in December. It's it's exact climate stuff. Right. That's Makes probably why sense. it's a medal and not a, not a cup or a trophy, because you can wear a medal around your neck. You can ski with a medal. Like a trophy, the, metal's gonna, the metal is going to get really cold. It might stick to your hands. It's going to be uncomfortable to hold. Right, right. They've thought it through. I think my favorite physical award is the Stanley Cup because people bring it everywhere and do silly stuff with it. It's a hockey trophy for people who don't know. Uh, but I, I hope the Nobel medals are that way too. That's great. Yeah. It's also really large, the Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's, it's crazy huge. large. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys touched the Stanley Cup? I have not. I haven't. I, I presume you have, otherwise you wouldn't have posed that question. <laughs> yeah, it was at some point, some <laughs> friends of the family brought it to some... Um, I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is a big football town. And my family is... is our big football fans and somehow on, on one of its tours the stanley cup ended up at our family's tailgate at a michigan football game and everyone's oh. getting pictures with it <laughs> it's a tailgate yeah yeah <laughs> it just travels that, the world it's just that's really funny <laughs> the the exact opposite of that is are you familiar with the ashes which is the, the cricket award like the, the trophy yeah yeah the cricket every few years or so it's a tournament between england and australia and the award is the ashes of the first bales from the first tournament that were burnt and then put in this tiny little pot. Oh, I didn't know that. So the winners are basically holding up this thing that's like smaller than a teacup <laughs> just in triumph. <laughs> and it stays in a museum the rest of the year. And it's like fragile or something too, right? Like they can't. Oh, incredibly so. So yeah, <laughs> oh. it, it, it does not go to anywhere. Like it stays very firmly in behind glass most of the time. Because every, every other trophy wow. gets like waved around while a guy gets sprayed with champagne. But that one you have to be like, <laughs> yeah. don't mess up. Like it's very uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> and nearly always broken as well. Like it's always a joy when the team sort of lifts up the trophy and then the base comes apart from the top one and it falls off and yeah. hits someone. <laughs> like I love seeing athletes being clumsy because they're, they're so much <laughs> more physically gifted than I ever was and ever will be. So it's always... It's always enjoyable to see them having just achieved the pinnacle of their sport and then be unable to pick up a piece of metal without it breaking. <laughs> oh, that, that reminds me. I have a piece of trivia that I don't think is is telling tales out of school about uh, award trophies. So this is very name droppy. I'm sorry. Whatever. Um, my cousin is married to a former NBA player who won a couple titles with the Miami Heat. Oh, awesome. When a player wins a title, players don't get any trophy. So uh, he and a bunch of the other players, I don't know if this is common throughout the league or just on their team. It might even be because he had a relationship with, with China because he used to play with Yao Ming, the Rockets, but everybody had these Chinese knockoff trophies made. <laughs> so I've been to his house and he has two Chinese knockoff NBA championship trophies <laughs> that have misspellings that I don't think were intentional. <laughs> and I think that's, I think he, other teammates have done the same thing. So. Wacky misspellings is like the joke you do about that trophy. That's amazing that that's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. National Biscuitball right. <laughs> Association. I got an MBA? Okay, oh, that's fine. That's a weird diploma for it. But... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm the MBA champion? Wow. Yeah. It's good to have a fullback when the whole sport thing runs out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, also with the uh, with these Nobel awards here, there's an amazing article we'll link from National Geographic called "Who Are the Nobel Prize Winners?" We've crunched the numbers, and there's a bunch of numbers here on like who wins them, and in particular, how many times Americans win them, because uh, the United States is the top country for Nobel winners, followed by the UK, Germany, and France. Those are the top four, but uh, the U.S. has won like a lot of Nobels since 1901, the first year. USA, USA. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that sounds about right, because that if it started right at the beginning of the 20th century, that coincides with the rise of America becoming a superpower. And, and also a lot of immigration working for the U.S., because, let's see, percentages for the U.S. winning prizes, 47% of physics Nobels, 51% of medicine Nobels, 41% of chemistry, 78% of economics— and then 19 piece and only six literature. But also with the science awards and economic awards, we'll have the numbers, but about a third of the winners who were American were also people born elsewhere who then came to the United States. It varies a little bit for each of them. but So uh, I, were a large number of them, I'd imagine a large number of them were the ones who 
were at one point in either Russian or Nazi-controlled areas, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's... found themselves on the other side of the Atlantic. It seems to be America's strategy for this award. Yeah, is is just come over here and we'll uh, you know help you out. Yeah, yeah, we'll set you up at MIT or Princeton and yeah. Caltech. You'll have a lovely time. <laughs> And also for all the winners, these are the average ages of Nobel winners. Here we go. Physics winners are 56, medicine 58, chemistry 58, economics 67, peace 61, literature 65. So if you're in your 50s or 60s, you're in the prime Nobel winning age, no matter where you're from. That makes me feel better about having not won it yet. Right? You got plenty of time. That's Yeah. Yeah. I've got decades on that one. I mean, it's like what I do with my comedy career, where you start looking at what age various people made it. <laughs> I, I, I've, I'm, I'm now transitioning from Louis C.K. to Ricky Gervais, and then eventually Rodney Dangerfield. Right. I was going to say, all the Nobel winners are the Rodney Dangerfields of, of sciences. Yeah. Yep. Well, they were all aluminum siding salesmen until they ended up winning their... <laughs> Saleswomen also, yeah. And they all have the ability to somersault from one diving board to another. <laughs> <laughs> Would the triple Lindy fall under physics? Yeah, which prize do you get? Absolutely. It's definitely not literature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a clean sweep, basically. It's just all of them. Yeah. <laughs> you get a hat trick or whatever six of them will be. Yeah, and the other number that's uh, frustrating about winners is 900 individuals have won Nobel Prizes between 1901 and 2018, and of those 900 individuals, only 50 have been women. That is pretty poor. There's also been a few more women the, the following two years, but uh, it's, uh, I think, well known that it's just tough. Well, half of them Marie Curie? Yeah. <laughs> like Marie Curie and her family members. Yeah, that, some of whom are women. That's that's a, right. a decent chunk of it, actually. Yeah, they're a dynasty, aren't they? They're a real Nobel. They, they has anybody topped their their family's uh, medal hall? No, I don't think so. There is. There's one story. I, I got to find the. I'll link the names. But a father and son won it together, which is very cute. But wow. uh, but otherwise, it's pretty rare. Yeah. Linda, just a few more numbers here. The next one is 100 years, and 100 years is the length of time Nobel banquets were required to serve special ice cream. From 1901 to 2000, every banquet featured a very specific ice cream dish that's called Nobel ice cream. It's layered ice cream and fruit sorbet formed into a bomba shape, and then an edible letter N for Nobel on it. And it's this like secret treat everyone got at the things. It's a whole thing. What made them stop doing it in 2001? I guess it's this Atlas Obscura article says that chefs were just allowed to make other desserts. So maybe they still did it. But there was some kind of, I don't think it was in Nobel's will level, but there was some kind of ironclad rule where if you ate at this banquet, that had to be the dessert for you. <laughs> I like. I, I don't think see what the point is of bequesting a prize that will last for as long as humanity, hopefully, that doesn't come with some weird rules. Right. <laughs> Like, if it's not a weird food that gets served at the awards ceremony, maybe it's a dance that everyone has to do. <laughs> or a catchphrase that the presenter has to say at some point. <laughs> Here's your sign, as they put it around your neck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's like, it's like, you might be a Nobel winner if, and then they fill in some, <laughs> like some really... <laughs> If you've done groundbreaking work in the field of studying radioactive elements, in the course of doing so, put your health in danger. You might be a Nobel laureate. <laughs> By the way, speaking of forced desserts or, or you know obligatory desserts, I I would have rather had it be the case that the first few years they put the metal on and then you're like, wait a second, is this? And then you just peel off a layer of, of gold wrapping and it's just a big <laughs> chocolate medallion. Uh, and then they tell you that you don't officially have the prize until you've eaten it all. <laughs> <laughs> There's another prize, which is that wall you get a, your name on if you can finish it in one sitting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, as he said in his famous Nobel lecture, yum, 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 yum. Like, it's just everybody's <laughs> messily eating chocolate up there. <laughs> At first, all the winners were really big guys, but then a really skinny Japanese winner came along and just wiped the floor with all of them. <laughs> Groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah, you dunk it in water first. That's the trick. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's faster. And like, and you like, you train your stomach muscles. That's this is a big secret. 
Oh my God. I, I, I want, I wish it were the earlier days of Wikipedia when like a person could make an edit that would live for a little while. Cause the, I, I don't know why things have changed, but like to go in and be able to do an edit to the table of the of the Nobel laureates and just add <laughs> just add a, a seventh column on the right that just says hot dog and then just have <laughs> the Nobel Prize in hot dog <laughs> for all the years. Oh, if only. Well, uh, we have one more number here, and it takes us into the first big takeaway of the episode. There's a couple takeaways. Here we go with takeaway number one. If you live in North or South America, the Nobel Committee basically tells you you won with a late night crank call. Because I, I, there's a bunch of shenanigans here. The, the number is between 2 and 3 a.m., which is the approximate time you'll receive a phone call telling you you won a Nobel if you live in the Pacific time zone in the United States. It's kind of the worst time to get a phone call. That's when they tell you. <laughs> yeah. That would make sense because that, be, that would coincide with mid-morning or in... Sweden. Exactly. Yeah. They, uh, Sweden and Norway are both in the Central European Standard Time time zone, yep. which is GMT plus one. And they try to tell people, you know, around like 11 or 12 o'clock Sweden time, which is the like the worst time in the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. They are nine hours ahead of California <laughs> and then six hours ahead of uh, New York. So that's also that's probably even worse because it would be nearer sort of five in the morning that they'd be calling. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are they late sleepers over there? Is that the issue? <laughs> yeah, I guess they, they decided they want to do it within the hour before the official noon Sweden time announcement. And that works basically everywhere except the four main U.S. time zones and similar for other countries south of us and north of us. Like it's around, I, I was just curious, it's around 7 o'clock in Beijing, around 10 o'clock p.m. Sydney, like most of the rest of the world, that's a good time, but... If you live here, it's like you either think an emergency happened or someone is messing with you, yeah. but it's the Nobel Committee <laughs> calling you. <laughs> yeah. How do you even check to make sure it's legit? Because you can probably you can probably really mess with some prominent scientists <laughs> if they know the announcement's coming up. And Because also, I think I'm right in saying that generally the winners win for work that they did years earlier. Yes, that's also a thing. So, so you kind of have an idea of who's in the mix. So you've probably got like, okay, this person did some really important work years back and they haven't got it yet. So this could be the year. And then if you can, if you can master your Swedish chef impression, just make sure you use that when you call the person just for right. uh, legitimacy. You know. <laughs> I'm calling from Sweden. I have to use it for you. <laughs> Is that I feel like I've just disparaged a great country, and I'm sorry. We can edit that out if that is. <laughs> it's you do the oppression and you chase a rooster around the room with a big, like a big carver. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how you get them. Because <laughs> it's what people do in Sweden. Fact. Linda, uh, there's a few sources for this, but the main one is the New York Times has done just wonderful work on the article. Nobel Prize-winning scientists reflect on nearly sleeping through the life-changing call by Claudia Dreyfus, and they just talk to a bunch of people about the experience of getting this really irritating phone call in the United States. Uh, it's the worst. First story here is Martin Chalfie, who's at Columbia University in New York and won the co-won the 2008 Chemistry Award. He apparently works in molecular biology and genetics. So he also was curious about both the chemistry prize and the medicine prize. And he, I guess, spent the night before the medicine prize announcement because they do each one a different day. He like couldn't really sleep the whole night for the medicine prize and then didn't get it. And then, quote, on the night for the chemistry prize, I heard this phone ringing in the distance, but assumed it was a neighbor's. And then he angrily checked to see, quote, who the schnook was who, who got it. Schnook. And there I saw my name along with Osamu Shimomura and Roger Sien. I was the schnook, end quote. Schnook. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Love it. He's just like like refreshing the internet mad. And that's how he found out he won a Nobel <laughs> Prize. It's really awesome. <laughs> that's how I found out. Yeah. Oh, sure. I told you guys I won, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> so about that. <laughs> <laughs> um if you go back to your wikipedia page now you you might Wait, what <laughs> yeah um no oh oh matt i'm sorry it was i was bored <laughs> i already bought a 
what, what, what do you display a metal, a prosthetic neck to uh, yeah. <laughs> one of those tie busts that they have yeah. right. trophy neck yeah sure sure yeah, trophy yeah. Neck. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess prosthetic would be if I lost my neck and needed a that's not like the word I'm looking for <laughs> which if you successfully did that I think you would be in line for the medicine yeah part. yeah neck prostheses <laughs> <laughs> just something that very successfully connects the head to the torso without any issues <laughs> i've got these two parts i'm trying to fit together on this living human yeah <laughs> yeah and uh, and then we'll link there's more stories here but it's all just people being like bothered there's one winner carl wyman who's at stanford university on pacific time co-winner of 2001 physics award he said that the swedes were not able to get his phone number and he claims they proceeded to not call at all because they didn't have it. And so then he got a middle of the night call from his brother because his brother was up all night refreshing the Nobel website and then called him to congratulate him. Then Weeman says, quote, since it was my brother, my first reaction was to go check the Internet to make sure he was not playing a practical joke because <laughs> that's a brother move. Like, of course, they're going to do. Stuff yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's one winner here. His name's Eric Betzig, and he was the winner for chemistry in 2014. And he works in the United States, but on the night of the call, he was visiting Munich, Germany. So it was actually like a totally normal time. It was fine. But the problem is, quote, when my cell phone rang, I wondered who the heck would call me at 530 in the morning East Coast time and immediately worried that there was a problem at home. And then he also says, quote, they had actually called my ex-wife's phone first. <laughs> but my 16-year-old told them where to find me, end quote. So even a guy who's in the right time zone, it was still a mess. And yeah, uh, yeah. like a weird thing. Yeah, it, It's kind of nice to know that the custodians of the prize for the smartest people in the world are unable to do a basic like telephone directory search. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even just like message their university first and just go like no no reason but just you uh do you happen to have the guy sell <laughs> yeah it can't be hard yeah it's all I, uh, the abrupt stunt that's how they tell people they won this science of, and usually tell people in their 50s or 60s or older like like they're they're spooking an old person <laughs> with this news yeah <laughs> it's very strange there's one more story of it here, and we will have a little clip that people will hear. But the setup is, uh, this was the October 2020 announcement of the Economics Nobel, so the most recent uh, Nobel for Economics. It was awarded to scientists Paul R. Milgram and Robert B. Wilson for improvements to auction theory and inventions of new auction formats. But the point is, they're both professors at Stanford, and they live across the street from each other. And I guess when the two in the morning call came, Wilson received his call and Milgram had turned off his phone for some reason. <laughs> and so then I don't know if they were asked to do this, but uh, Wilson and his wife, Mary, both walked across the street to Milgram's house to ring the doorbell and bang on the door and like tell him he won a Nobel. And uh, you were about to hear a clip because Mr. Milgram has one of those Google Nest thingies that records people at your door. So here is his collaborator and collaborator's wife uh, telling him this thing. So he's approaching the door. <laughs> he's trying the door handle, like trying to actually get in there. <laughs> trying to break in. Paul? It's, it's Bob Wilson. Yeah. You won the Nobel you won the Nobel Prize. And so they're trying to reach you, but they cannot. They don't seem to have a number for you. We gave them your cell phone number. <laughs> yeah, I have wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Will you answer will you answer your phone? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you need to let them be able to call you so that's that's how it went like his, his friend bothered him in the middle of the night that's how he found out that's that's great <laughs> that video is just so perfect it just looks like any movie that has someone trying to do a video call with their older parents you know it's like that is this uh, is this facing the right way <laughs> that's great I, 
I love the idea of these two Nobel Prize winners living opposite each other on, across the street. Like, I, I kind of hope that at bedtime they've got their walkie-talkies and they just see each other through the window every night. <laughs> Good night, Paul. <laughs> Good night, Bob. Good night, Auction Theory. <laughs> auction Theory's like, Good night. <laughs> All right, off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them and then you just stay there like, like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. And uh, from here, we can get into takeaway number two for the show. Takeaway number two. There are major and specific flaws in the process for awarding every category of Nobel Prize. Uh, all, all of them have their own distinct, like, weird things and how the awards are given out. And we're going to split them into, like, all the science and economics, and then literature, and then peace. Those are kind of the three uh, categories of mistake that we'll have to talk about. Right, right. And also, it's exciting that I think, Matt, you were talking about, like, uh, those LIGO people that, that you interviewed and met with. Because they're, like, this. they're a key example of the science awards having a problem of just not going to enough people. There is a limit for all the Nobels on a maximum of three people can share an award. And it's become a problem because most science is done by more than three people working together. It's just always a problem now. Right. There's been some really famous omissions over the years. Also, some that have just been from sexism. But yeah, <laughs> right, they, they're just like, well, we'll just split it amongst the men who were involved in this science. Yeah. Rosalind Franklin can have a Chicago college named after. Her. That'll be fine. That's all you need. Although in her case, was it Rosalind Franklin who had died just before the award could have been given out? Because um, it's also never awarded posthumously either. Oh, oh, right. And I think she died. She she died quite young. And that's the other key, uh, along with sexism. That's the other key science award problem where the Nobel for all of the chemistry, physics, medicine, everything they've got what's called a breakthrough a breakthrough backlog. And it's for two main reasons. One is that you have to be alive to receive a Nobel Prize. You are like not allowed to get it if you die. And the other reason is they decided uh, in the early days of the Nobel, they said, okay, whoever did the best work in the past year gets the award. And then it led to some issues where Nobel Prizes were given for like faulty science that was not actually accurate. Oh, that makes sense. And so now they do a thing where they wait to see if your work mattered and was uh, solid, which means that there's something called a prize delay. And The Economist says for all the science awards, it's an average of 25 to 30 years between discovering something and getting a Nobel for it. Wow. I know in physics, there's been a few cases where the prize was finally awarded when someone did the theoretical work 20 years earlier and then eventually the experimental side of it caught up to the point that they were able to affirm that it was true exactly uh like i think higgs was one of them yeah that's exactly right oh, according to phys.org uh, which is short for physics the 2013 physics prize went to guys who did theoretical higgs boson work in 1964 so about 50 years later right. <laughs> and one of the three people was dead so he didn't get one 
And and I can see why they're trying to wait to decide whether the science worked. The the most famous example of it being too soon is there was a Danish scientist named Johannes Fibiger who won the 1926 Medicine Prize for finding that a species of roundworm causes stomach cancer in rodent studies. And then that was debunked. Roundworms don't cause cancer. That's not a thing. But he still had a prize, like too late. Oh. So that's why they wait now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like they're still being too hasty with giving out the literature prizes because it turns out a lot of these novels aren't even true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've been roundly debunked. <laughs> yeah, there just isn't enough time to do the experiments on it. Right. <laughs> and also, you should have the Peace Prize removed from you if a war breaks out anywhere. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah. Every year, it's fingers crossed this is the end of all that. Yeah. Speaking of those LIGO guys, before we look at the Peace Prize... The 2017 Nobel Prize in Physics went to Rainier Weiss, Kip Thorne, and Barry Barish for detecting gravitational waves, but all three of them said publicly that way more people were involved than them, and according to National Geographic, the key scientific study for that has 1,011 co-authors, over 1,000 people credited, which means that like far less than 1% of the team got a Nobel for yeah. the thing they all worked on, which doesn't make sense. But then again, if you split the prize up among that many people, it's oh. money-wise at least. Not, yeah, what's even the point? And after taxes. Yeah. Do they all get an ice cream? I don't know. <laughs> well, and then looking at the Peace Prize here, uh, kind of, man, as you said, like they're one of the Peace Prize issues is just it's very difficult to award it to exclusively living people who are often still going to be a head of state for a while because then they might do a war or do something violent like and that that's happened often in the history of the award it's just kind of difficult yeah. well i remember the most ridiculous recent one of those was i mean when obama was given it in 2008 it would have been right yeah but yeah. basically not being bush yep <laughs> which is an achievement that's an achievement but uh yeah but then he did other stuff yeah peace will happen now <laughs> <laughs> well done you won you won the election now we have peace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, other American key ones like that are Henry Kissinger and, in some ways, Teddy Roosevelt, because they were not necessarily peaceful all of the time, but they already had a Nobel Peace Prize. So then it was like, oh, okay, well, that's just awkward for all of us. All right. What was the impetus for Kissinger's? I didn't know about that. He So he and uh, Le Duc Tho, who was a North Vietnamese leader, were given a 1973 prize for peace in Vietnam. And then the war proceeded to keep happening for a couple of years, which was yeah. difficult uh, all around, uh, <laughs> just uh, as far as the award goes. Yeah. I wonder if in some cases like that, where something is ongoing, if it's almost like a, a, um, a nudge from the committee, it's like, if we give you this, uh, will you guys be cool? Is everybody going to settle down now? If you, <laughs> you all get to say you won something now. Yeah. All right. If you promise to keep the peace, we'll buy you ice cream. I mean, that really is how parents do. <laughs> yeah. If you if you stop fighting, you get an ice cream. But if you carry on fighting, no ice cream from now on. Yeah, I have won a Nobel Prize in the Dairy Queen sense. Yeah, yeah. and now I feel great. <laughs> when the, uh, the other issue with the Peace Prize is that a lot of people are allowed to nominate people. And I don't really have any examples of this going wrong, wrong. But there's a huge array of people and organizations who are allowed to nominate people for prizes, such as past winners. But the main set is any elected member of the legislature in over 170 countries. So, like, think of the worst congressman you've ever heard of. They can nominate someone for the Nobel Peace Prize. And, oh, interesting. And, in, and uh, you know, anyone else in any other legislature. Uh, it's also only chosen by a group of five people selected by the Norwegian parliament from there. So it's not a very, like, stable or international system. Like, just five Norwegians pick the winner based on nominees chosen by kind of anybody. It's very open. Mm -hmm. So that would be also how Donald Trump was publicizing last year that he was on the shortlist or the long list. Or he was, he was nominated. Yeah, he's been nominated repeatedly. And in 2018, uh, and in 2018, there was a joint nomination letter by 18 Republican members of Congress. And then in 2020... A Norwegian legislator named Christian Tybring Gajeda, who I, I sent you guys a picture of him, but he he nominated Donald Trump in 2020, like in in the middle of COVID, and like after after we did a, uh, like shooting missiles at Iranian generals and a bunch of stuff, 
and this guy is in the party in Norway that is opposed to Muslim immigration, denies climate science, is white nationalist-ish, uh, and also kind of looks like Donald Trump. So like that uh, guy's allowed to pick people for the Nobel Peace Prize. There's no limit on it. <laughs> Again, though, that, that makes me more encouraged that maybe I could get on the list. Oh, great. <laughs> right. yeah. All you got to do is befriend a congressman or a, a member of parliament somewhere. Like, I'm sure there's at least one country where I could, you know, donate something to someone's campaign and get, yeah, you know, just give me a peace nomination at the very least. If you like, if you know a guy and you help him get elected to Congress in your local house seat, he could nominate you for the Nobel Peace Prize. Like, he's allowed. That, that's all it takes. <laughs> <laughs> you could, yeah, it's you could amazing. legitimately put Nobel nominee on your resume if you just got one... Yeah. Just a low-level congressperson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And last award to look at here for process things is the Literature Awards, which I don't know. It's It's been a story. I don't know if people know. The Nobel Prize for Literature is like right on the heels right now of a huge scandal oh. involving sex abuse and then corruption. And it's this little club of people in Sweden. And apparently some of them are very gross. Uh, and so it's a whole like cascading weird thing to the point where they did not award a 2018 award. We'll link the details about it, but the main perpetrator is a guy named Jean-Claude Arnaud, who in 2017 was accused by 18 women of sexual harassment and assault over a period of more than 20 years. And his wife is part of the Swedish Academy for the Literature Award. They run a club funded by the Swedish Academy. And... There was basically a cascading series of resignations and uh, further corruption investigation that led to them deciding we just can't, we just can't do it. Like we're too, we're too much of a mess here to to, to function. So who took over the committee? It's also there's also a thing where legally members of the Swedish Academy are not allowed to resign, so the seats are just vacant until they die. So also they're like still working on getting new people in for arranging this award it's a whole mess yeah but they it seems like this year's award as uh to louise gluck is is just pretty widely lauded when they did come back with two awards in 2019 they gave one of them to a supporter of slobodan milosevic and so these scandals kind of continued from there because slobodan milosevic is a horrible dictator who the writer peter hantka think it thinks is great and they gave him a nobel prize anyway uh, which is not good yeah so maybe i've got a chance of getting that one I'm I'm still trying to work out which category I've got the best chance of winning in. <laughs> yeah, I think Bob Dylan winning really opened up a lot of people's hopes. They were like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm no Dylan, but... Yeah, ev- everything's literature now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think uh, from here we can get into the last takeaway of the main episode. Uh, so here we go. Takeaway number three. In the past 20 or so years, Nobel Prize medals have been getting stolen. Hmm. There's like a rash of Nobel Prize medal theft. Uh, just going on and uh, there's no like nothing linking them but we have some weird stories of people stealing nobel prize medals crazy that's okay because they are what's their value as just metal as as m-e-t-a-l right right they're made of they're made of 18 karat gold and they weigh about six ounces and so i like i plugged it into a gold price calculator and i think i got too high of a number the the source about one of these stolen medals said it was worth $4,200, which is money, but it's not right. like crime-worthy money, I don't think, you know? It's probably yeah, worth more right. as an artifact. As, yeah, yeah. As uh, in the yeah. black market. The same people who would buy stolen art, which you di- you can't display in public, but, you know, you get to you get to tell the rest of your crime syndicate that, <laughs> hey, look at this. Look at this Renoir. It's a real one. Yeah, that is a strange, like, it's like you're a lover of the arts but uh, in private and also a criminal it's just a strange like <laughs> yeah you can sort of you can yeah. never show it off you can never brag in public because <laughs> you have a crime just happening constantly in your house right right i also i like the idea that your crime flunkies are like oh renoir boss yeah like they're really excited about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> impressionism or something yeah. look at the use of light oh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because they're also, they all very prominently have, like, Alfred Nobel's profile on them, and, like, they're just definitely what they are. You can't disguise as anything. Yeah. And there's an exclusive yeah. club here of four medals that have been stolen, and each story is weird and different. 
first one is that in 2004, someone stole Rabindranath Tagore's medal for literature that he won in 1913. And Tagore is the first non-Western Nobel laureate. He's a major figure in Bengali culture, and Bengal is today's Bangladesh and part of India. He wrote the national anthems of both Bangladesh and India. He was a poet. He was a composer. He's this amazing guy. And the New York Times says that it was stolen from its display case in a museum in 2004. And according to experts, there was very lousy security, but also any it's surprising anyone would steal it because he can't sell it. And to this day, it's never been recovered. They did some investigations. They like closed and opened it again based on political pressure. But it's like a cold case of this stolen Nobel medal. Interesting. Sometimes those things are just depressingly melted down. Someone just got in and it's like, you hear those stories where someone just didn't know the value of it as a thing. So just went, ah, you know, four grand's four grand. Yeah. Sending it, just sending it off to one of those cash for gold websites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I could buff the bearded guy off of this, this would be a nice looking <laughs> yeah. piece of gold. Tell you what. What if we just buff the beard off? Like, no, nobody had a beard. This is a totally different guy. Yeah. <laughs> right, it's clean shaven. <laughs> right. There's no clean shaven award for peace. Get out of here. Right. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll also, we'll link a BBC radio show called the Museum of Lost Objects that does uh, an amazing episode by Kanish Tharoor about like this incredibly significant figure, but the, the latest evidence they have is they think it was taken by a Bangladeshi national with help from two Europeans, but that's kind of all they know. And they still are looking for this medal for 16 years now, trying to figure out where it went. And then next theft here is much sillier. This is in 2007, uh, someone stole the 1939 physics award won by Ernest Lawrence, which was kept at the Lawrence Hall of Science at Berkeley. The museum said it was the first time anything had been stolen in 39 years. And the thief turned out to be Ian Michael Sanchez, a 22-year-old Berkeley biology major with a work-study job at the Lawrence Hall of Science. Uh, he said he took the medal, quote, on a whim. That's it. They found it, brought it back. Just a college dude, like, grabbed it. That was it. <laughs> it was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did that student get to stay at the university? or Because that uh, feels like that's an expulsion thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I'd put that even above, like, sort of stealing the school's mascot. <laughs> it's hard to come back from that. Right, just Animal House stuff. Like, well, they rode a horse yeah. across the campus, <laughs> and then they took a Nobel Prize. Stole a Nobel Prize medal. <laughs> Stole someone's Nobel Prize. The dean's going to be so mad. Like, that's all they think yeah. about. Yeah. Oh, that, that stuffed shirt dean. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Just suddenly, like, sending the dean photo after photo of the Nobel Prize in different places around the world on different yeah. people. <laughs> Punches through his mortarboard. <laughs> Secretary comes in with a fresh mortarboard. That's the third time this week. <laughs> I wish this school didn't have so many specific categories of student. The nerds, the jocks, the Nobel thieves. <laughs> And then the uh, the other two stories are both just like kind of petty thefts. And one of them is really strange because it was in 2006, the medal possessed by Kay Miller was stolen. Kay Miller was like part of an organization that won the 1985 Peace Prize. It's called the International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War. So a very nice group. But uh, she just had a medal because the top people in the org got it. And then... She was also renting out her basement as an apartment. And so she had like a tenant named Russell Gillett, 24 years old, who uh, the metal was stolen and then he moved to a new apartment. And then the police basically caught him for other stuff. And then the person who called in the tip borrowed his car and then found a gun in the trunk and then reported the gun. And then when the trunk was searched, they found a Nobel Peace Prize medal. So wow. it's just like a weird, really uh, serpentine path with a bunch of petty crimes and thefts that led to the medal being found again. I like the idea of someone who keeps their Nobel Peace Prize next to their gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the carrot and the stick. Like, just goes out to people like, all right, which one do you want? Do you want the peace or do you want the gun? Because <laughs> I could go either way, but it's up to you. 
That is a very good and very bad cop. I tell you what, yeah. that's, really, that's a really valid use of that. Wow. Yeah, and, the, and then the other theft is in 2017, uh, just a home burglar in New Delhi broke into the home of 2014 Peace Rise winner Kailash Setyarthi and took his medal and then they caught the burglar and brought it back. Like these these medals are kind of not worth stealing. And so a lot of the thefts are like accidents or just whim stuff. It's very weird. Well, yeah, again, I, I would think if you're just an opportunist thief, like if, if, if it's a concerted effort to steal one, like it sounds like that Bengali poet one, like, like that sounds like that was actually the equivalent of a high-end art thief of someone who had a plan of where to put it. But if you're just a general thief who normally yeah you, you got a guy who can fence a stolen tv or uh you know knows what to do with a car stereo <laughs> but what do you do with a nobel peace prize like yeah you got a guy <laughs> you know anyone who wants this how much for a nobel peace prize <laughs> this this thing that is the most recognizable thing in the world and has the, the entire country's police after it <laughs> yeah yeah and it like doesn't make you the value is in like being the winner, right? right? Like you just have somebody else's thing now. It's stupid. Although now maybe it's like when you people who like grind up rhino horns because there's some you know wealthy <laughs> businessman who thinks that it's a. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So if I eat this medal, I'll gain all the power of peace. <laughs> you snort a Nobel Prize. Yeah. But then it turns out that the medals are actually haunted and they're cursed until they return to their rightful owner. That's the movie. There we go. I can't believe in this whole episode you didn't mention that every Nobel winner has to spend the night in a haunted house before <laughs> they get their medal. <laughs> to survive the ghost of Alfred Nobel, like, I have to bother you first. Like, that's it. Dynamite. <laughs> His catchphrase is dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there should be like an honorary Nobel that goes to Jimmy J.J. Walker. Yeah. <laughs> With a commendation for ACDC. <laughs> Folks, that is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Matt Kirshen and Andy Wood for nominating me for the Nobel Prize in learning about Nobel Prizes. Fingers crossed. Hoping. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com. Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is Nobel laureates sneaking Nobel Prize medals past the Nazis. Yeah. Yeah, beating the Nazis. Heroic capers await you. It's very exciting. So visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of two dozen other bonus shows, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring Nobel Prizes with us. Here is one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, if you live in North or South America, the Nobel Committee tells you you won with what's basically a late-night crank call. Takeaway number two, there are major and specific flaws in the process for awarding every category of Nobel Prize. And takeaway number three, in the past 20 or so years, there's been a rash of Nobel Prize medal thefts. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. Matt Kirshen and Andy Wood are the hosts of Probably Science, which is a fantastic podcast that we will have linked. We'll also link stand-up and comedy writing they've each done. If you've heard of stuff like the Jim Jeffries Show and the Bridgetown Comedy Festival, you know about their work. It's big stuff. We'll also link, of course, about Andy Wood's run on Jeopardy! This past November, won four times. Did it with Alex Trebek. It's just really cool. Like, I take it from me. It's a pretty cool thing to get to do. And, uh, and I'm so glad he got to do it. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A great article in National Geographic, it's called Who Are the Nobel Prize Winners? We've Crunched the Numbers, and it's by Michael Grashko. A great video from The Guardian, and really from the doorbell of Paul Milgram, where his colleague Robert Wilson and his wife Mary uh, come and ring the doorbell and knock on the door and bug him at like 2 in the morning. 
about the two of them winning the Nobel Prize for Economics. Really exciting. Also, a fantastic article from The New Yorker. It's called The Swedish Academy and the Illusions of the Nobel Prize in Literature. It's by Alexandra Schwartz. It goes really deep on that literature scandal that we just kind of touched on in this one. You can find those and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by The Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>